I am such a rom-com guy. Hello and welcome to Entertaining the Idea, Season 2, Episode Number 2. This is the podcast where we discuss the creative process from both the generating and consuming content perspectives. I am joined by my co-host. Hey, I'm Anthony Hudex. Hello, Anthony. And I am your other co-host, John McStravick. Uh, Anthony, how are you doing? Doing great. Doing great. Had a busy week. Uh, so have I, man. It's just been a killer, killer week with, with the work and with the family. Uh, it just never stops. But we're here now. We're, uh, we're in the zone. We're focusing on uh, this week. Um, so let's get to, right to it then. And uh, what have you been watching this past week? I did, uh, since we last recorded, I've binged two uh, different series. One's called The Stranger, and the other's called Lock and Key. Um, the Stranger was, was good. Uh, there was, you know, it's a British show. It's about this, you know, this person comes and starts telling everybody's secrets to them, and it's kind of like blackmailish, and it's a very interesting idea i didn't want to like give away too much um but essentially uh the girl who plays the stranger hannah john Kamen, was actually very very good um she was ghost in ant-man and wasp um so she's you know starting to make a name for herself and she was really good the okay. thing that i, I, I remember I, her yeah yeah she's she's great um the one thing that i was just uh kind of mad about was that as the story got on i wanted to know the answer to the main mystery and i cared less and less about all the other little mysteries and then i was just like i was trying to like rush through them just because i wanted the the main resolution but i felt like i was kind of almost like punished for being interested because it was like it started and then it was like an eight hours later before i needed i could find the ending now it was annoying. It was like, I think that it would have been a better show had like it gone week to week yeah. rather than binging it. Because I think binging it moves so slow at some points. Yeah. What channel was it on? Or what like? Oh, it was on was Netflix. 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 Yeah. yeah. They, both of these were on Netflix. So that, and that, I know that that's a bigger topic uh, that, that happens back and forth. And you see it kind of happening with all the new streaming services coming out where that's always the big question. It's like, are they going to release all their shows at once? Are they going to do a week by week release schedule? Are they going to do some sort of hybrid? I know Apple sort of did a hybrid where they release like the first three and then go week to week. Uh, Disney is a week to week from the beginning. I think HBO max, we don't know yet. Uh, And everybody does something kind of different. I, I, I agree with you. I'm more on the let, let it come week by week. I, I don't, I think some shows, end up getting a bigger fan base when they go week to week because there's like the water cooler buzz to it. So yeah, but, but it's, sure. it's fun to just be able to clear, clear through different shows. You know, I, I, there's shows I catch up on and I binge through. So, you know, there, there's pluses and minuses to both. A hundred percent. And some of it, like, I think the problem with streaming and doing it week to week is that I'm not going to like my water cooler talk would have been weird because it would have been at a different time than somebody else's. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I get that they're all being released week to week, but like someone's going to catch up on like the last bit, like the last couple episodes. So like your first couple of weeks, of, 
cooler talker like hey did you hear about the show no what is it i'll check it out sometime and then you're like by the time you're out of like almost the finale then maybe you get like one or two other people watching so i don't know um yeah, I, think I don't it's, know. I think people will catch up more if it's week to week and the buzz keeps growing rather than just like the media drop and then it kind of fizzles out. Yeah. Um, so how was Lock and Key? Lock and Key was great. I could have done so many more episodes of Lock and Key. Um, the basic thing is that this family is dealing with the suicide of their uh, father and then or the death of their father. I mean, it isn't a suicide, sorry. Um, But they go back to his ancestral home and there are all these magical keys and they're the Locke family and they go to Key House and it's just... It's it seems very goofy to put it like that, but um, I could have watched a lot more of it. There was a lot of magic. There was a lot of, like, intrigue and... um, there were two actors that I thought really stood out. Um, the one was Amelia Jones. She plays the daughter. Um, and I wasn't sold on her at first. And then there's this twist that happens a couple episodes in. And I was like, oh, you were." she was making a very specific acting choice. And then when the twist happens, her character really comes alive. And I was like, oh, I get it. And was very impressed by her. And then the other was this... Um, guy by the name of patrice jones and no relation to uh amelia but um he was just like super charismatic they didn't get to do a whole lot with his character um he kind of started strong and then faded away but he was very charismatic and i think he's somebody that's probably going to end up doing more and more things but i actually wanted more of that i wish i could have kept binging like it you know the 10-hour movie that it was wasn't enough I could have I could have kept watching. See, well, there there is the argument for some shows do better, and I think that is just show to show. It depends on oh yeah how they kind of present the content, how they write the stories. Some things are better because you do just want to keep going along. Other ones kind of drag out, and they would be probably better week to week. So, well, that's cool. I, Lock and Key sounds interesting. I don't know if oh, it's very good. Your, um, it's it, it, that's not quite maybe what I'd, i i sometimes the the those big mysteries like that where it's all hinging on this one thing i, I i'm just like i i don't care i just i'm i, I don't need to know these little people's secret I don't know. yeah it's it's just very the big mystery is very good and i think there's this problem that gets set up with a lot of movies and i always called it the nick of time effect where in this movie nick of time with johnny depp you set up this thing where basically everybody's in on the conspiracy spoiler alert from like 20 years ago but you set up this thing so then the idea that they could even defeat the person like the big bad it feels so impossible that anything you throw in there is just like a i don't know like it feels like a cop-out ending so that becomes my big thing a lot of times with big mystery shows is just and there's an art to making like the world seem impossible to beat but not actually be impossible to beat you know what i mean like feel impossible but there's still a logical way to beat it yeah well i mean and you're talking about like the nick of time like that's like writing 101 there the, the protagonist needs to be able to actually achieve 
his goal. Not to say that he will, but he has to have the ability to. And if you put up such a wall that he doesn't even have the ability to, but then you try to elude that he does, it's it's just this kind of endless circle. Or then you just bring in this random other kind of out that, you know, this other story element that hasn't been there the whole time just so then they can achieve like the final right. goal that you want them to, which is, which is never satisfying in the end. Oh, 100%. It is the worst. The worst. What isn't the worst is what I watched this week. Um, what did you watch? Well, uh, last weekend I caught up on two rom-coms that I haven't seen in a while, but I like them both. Uh, and I am not a rom-com guy, but these two ones, I am I such know, a rom-com guy. They, they just have a little, they, they have a little something special that uh, I actually enjoyed. Uh, one Ooh. was Crazy Stupid Love with Steve Carell and Ryan Gosling. I do like that movie. It, there's just something about it. And there's like some conceits that I just give into it that like, you're like that. There's such small ones, but like if you really wanted to nitpick, you could find stuff. But it's like that's fine. Everything about it is great. Just like the banter is fantastic. Like all the characters are funny and have their own, you know, story that they all then. But they effortlessly intertwine with each other, which is why I just think it's so great. Um, And it doesn't take itself too seriously. That's pretty much the best part about it all. Right. And then uh, the other one was Morning Glory. Uh, you ever see that one with Rachel McAdams, Harrison Ford, where she's like, the, Oh, the, the intern new... at the news place, well, right? No, well, she, or is she a the reporter? Executive producer of this like failing morning news show on the fourth place news network. Oh, you, right, right. Called UBS, by the way. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I, which is the weirdest moniker, like three letter moniker for a news network. I, I don't understand where they thought that no. was. All the good ones were taken. Yeah. Anyway, but I don't know. It, you know, it didn't necessarily hold up to what I enjoyed about it before. Maybe not. But you know what? It was still just easy and light and fun. And I guess I just enjoy Rachel McAdams. Uh, and sure, it, I, I, I liked it again, uh, which was yeah. funny, though, because then that led us into I just started watching the morning show, the Apple Plus, Apple TV Plus. Oh. I have not seen that one yet. Is it good? It's OK. Uh, so far, they. It's uh, I'm at episode six. I have like four left, so I'm trying to hold out full my full opinion until I watch all the episodes. It's it, it's difficult. There's some parts of it that are good, other parts are are difficult, and it's more of like the decisions that they're trying to do with the, the show. They don't quite know what they want to do. It feels like uh, so that right. that is the overall feel I get from it. Maybe I'll dive into it a little bit more on the next episode once I get through all ten episodes because I do want to try to hold back my full judgment on until I see the whole thing and maybe it'll come full circle somehow or yeah you know because you know it had we just watched an episode that was a little just like one of those like one-off ones that they do to get them out of like their normal world and it just seemed very overwritten and that's part of this show it seems a little overwritten at times like the characters say a lot of on the nose things or they have these little side discussions about topical events and you're just like uh this has nothing to do i mean it has to do with yeah. the show but it's kind of like i don't know why i'm watching this part of the show right 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 so, right so we'll see again i am a little bit like up and down on it but let's see how it turns out in the end maybe again it can they do have a chance to pull it out so we'll see okay so anyway, uh, moving on then to what are going to be our current event topic. Uh, so I saw this uh, article on Deadline. It had to do with the writer uh, WGA negotiations with the uh, studios that is ongoing because I think the contract's up this year in a few months. Yep. So supposedly the negotiations aren't going super well. 
uh, as to be expected when these things happen. So obviously a strike is on the table. What this article was getting at, though, was uh, if there is a writer strike, will this accelerate uh, the decline of scripted programming on broadcast television? Uh, So Mm -hmm. it's just like an interesting thought experiment because like it's just that's all it is. It's just kind of looking at the landscape as it is now where it's kind of heading and will certain other events that could happen actually make this, you know, precipitously worse than what it, what it is, or as it says, accelerate the decline as they are uh, kind of alluding to. So I just, you read the article. I was just curious on that general thought of just like, what is the state of like scripted TV on broadcast television? And like, is it in decline? Is it in a fast decline? Uh, do you think it's going away soon? Like, or is this not a real big problem or is this just natural evolution? Like where are you falling on this and your general thoughts? My, I mean, my general thoughts on it, it was a very interesting article. I don't know enough about the writer's strike this time to have much of an opinion of who would come out on top. But one of my things is just that I think, Everything is so secular. There's so many cycles to everything that I think we always have something that's dying and it's always something like that. It's never going to come back. It's going to be gone forever. This is going to change the thing. And there's not a lot of things that really go away when you talk about like genres or, you know, like broadcast doing stuff like I think that there will probably end up being less scripted shows on broadcast because I think broadcast works better when it's big event stuff. Like, I think it works the best when it's, you know, news or live TV or things that are, like, happening in big events. I don't think scripted is the best place for it because now that we're talking about binging things, like, you can't on-demand your live you know cbs feed or whatever and everybody's having and everybody's going streaming anyway the peacock is gonna launch soon so i think this whole broadcast thing is just gonna be live events soon so so do you think that then looking just from a perspective of like from writer's perspective and producer's perspective like is scripted TV kind of dwindling on broadcast uh, a bad thing? Uh, is it not a bad thing in the sense that you're getting a much higher uptick in shows greenlit through these streaming services? Obviously, they're still in this gold rush, which has been going on kind of for like half a decade now. Um, it started with kind of cable picking up the slack yeah. of scripted and then it moved, morphed and you know, evolved into the streaming platforms that are coming in that have continued this boom of unprecedented scripted programming. But the thing is though, the dynamics of it are different in the sense that you go from broadcast, which picks up anywhere between maybe 18 to 26 episodes in a single season. And that has a higher, uh, you know, you need a larger writing staff. You have more writers that are continuously working throughout the year. We're all all these shows that are coming through cable and scripted have a much shorter order. You're talking, it used to be 13. I mean, you're talking now down into like eight episodes for full seasons now too, the way some of these are structured. Uh, And it seems like that's causing then could be causing more problems where writers then have to have downtime or find other jobs in between jobs. Like 
you know what I mean? Like it creates a little yeah. bit more volatility in the workplace market as far as stability. It does seem to create more overall jobs because there's more shows overall. But then again, there's a balance of that. And it does seem like it's kind of getting out of whack. Uh, I mean, people have been dealing with this for the past decade, but I just, what do you think? Is that the better way to go that there's more, but for less stability and shorter runs? Or do you think the older way did help writers and the business overall when there was a more stability of like longer seasons for broadcast? Well, I think that what needs to happen would be, see, I think it's two, there's two questions in there. One, do I think it's better for the consumer? And one, do I think it's better for the writers? I know that one of the problems that a lot of writers have is that once you sign a contract, they have you have to exclusively sign with a show for however many, maybe like one season or two seasons or three seasons. Well, if you did, let's say, um, two, let's say you signed on for two seasons of The Witcher. Well, The Witcher isn't like it did its run, and now it isn't even going to go into production again for another like six or eight months. So there becomes a contractual issue of can you take another job in between there and some people do and some people don't or some people can't or, you know, whatever, because you have to be available to go back. And some people just don't want the hassle of like some companies just don't want the hassle of having to lose a writer halfway through. So I know that that is actually a a huge issue, and I'm sure that's probably one of the things they're going to be negotiating. But for the consumer... It is like streaming is a superior way to get that type of entertainment. We're we're moving to a place where I want everything on demand and I want everything on demand. I want to be able if I want to watch something and I can't find it, it's like you it's too, so easy to pirate things then. Like if I can't find it like instantly, you can just go and pirate it. And I, that's become the weird thing of the world now is that we're so getting so conditioned to want things instantly and on demand that when they're available, they should be available for everybody. And I think that's a better consumer model. I think there's a reason that stuff like baseball is in decline with fan bases. And it's because they're making it harder to watch the games. Like MLB is prohibitively expensive for some people, the MLB.com. And then uh, it also ends up being harder to even watch games within your market. Like here in Los Angeles, you, you have to have Spectrum or you can't see the Dodgers. That stuff, like, and then they're wondering why baseball loses an audience. And it's like, because you can't see it. I see it as, I mean, broadcast generally, they post their shows on their website or their app like immediately after or like the next day when they're still they're still on the week by week schedule they don't do a binge and drop a whole bunch of shows or episodes um so i i don't think that is much of a problem as far as necessarily like pirating stuff i mean like you can still get uh game of thrones on hbo by paying for it and you get it immediately as it's airing on yeah. linear TV, but it's still the most pirated show in the world. So I don't, I, I don't necessarily think those are mutually exclusive problems I understand. Yeah. With it all. I'm just looking at it more from what was a traditional way to what is now becoming the more normal model. And is that just more volatile that way? Um, I do think it seems like there, you do create better television 
when it's on the streaming model because they seem to give them a lot more flexibility with how these creators want to create their shows, how they want to run them. Uh, so overall, that makes it better for the final product. Uh, but behind the scenes, it does seem to create a lot of tension with how writers are treated, how they are seen as expendable. I mean, I guess it is the new normal now. I guess broadcast is almost not the normal anymore. And that's like the rarity if like you were to get a job on a broadcast staff. Oh, yeah. I, I do still take the view that things change, times change. And um, I, I'm OK with all this. This is just how things are going to go. And they've been evolving this way pretty slowly. And now it just seems like it's kind of going to go on the hockey stick where it's been slowly, slowly going this way. And then at some point it's just going to go, you know, straight up or straight down, however, which way you want to look at it. Uh, and then, mm -hmm. and then we'll be just in the new paradigm, which is what we're pretty much close to. I think we'll just be the new normal and they'll still pick up some shows on broadcast. I think for scripted, I don't scripted will never go away from broadcast. And like you said, everything's cyclical at some point in another 10 years, maybe this stuff will come back around because at some point, on a couple couple fronts, there's just going to be so much glut that it's not going to be viable for any company to right. keep just endlessly spending money. Second off, I think you're gonna after these streaming wars, which are kind of just getting heated up. There's gonna be a few. There's gonna be some that are gonna end up contracting after a while. Like after yeah, X amount of years, 100%. there's gonna be too many of them, too many subscriptions. Even though you can come and go as you please, which is what people have been clamoring for 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 years, if not decades, of sort of a la carte, which is in essence what's happening here. Mm -hmm. Anyway, what I'm getting at is that I do think at some point they'll, they will contract and then you're going to start losing shows and they won't be spending crazy money on revamps or bringing back old shows and uh, kind of giving just carte blanche to all of these ideas that are coming through. Kind of know what this feels like? This sort of feels like the early aughts when all this reality programming came out and it was just like when one show hit everybody wanted to get a piece of it and they all everybody and then that expanded cables programming slate so they got in on it and it just kept going for like a good right. 10 to 15 years and then around like the early 10s uh 2010s things started to contract a bit oh i think 100 percent. i think you can also go 10 years before the reality boom and look at when everybody was talking about the heydays in the 90s about uh writing the spec That's scripts right. yep and that becoming like these big bidding wars over like getting spec scripts and in indie movies and all of that. Yeah, I would argue that the spec script is very much in vogue because like people don't even write, uh, like used to write, have to write like a pilot or yeah. not. Yeah, a pilot of a sorry, current television show. Pilot or a television. spec of a current television show. But when we're talking about spec scripts for like movies, we mean like a new, like a whole new movie that you're writing on spec. But when you talk about a spec script for television, it's like doing an episode of an already existing show. But people now don't want that. They want you to write an original pilot. Yeah. And that's a whole other thing. So that's like. Yeah. And that's like a twofold thing where it could possibly get picked up to be its own pilot or you use it as a, an example piece to get onto a writing staff. Sure. But that's just such a huge market now, too. That just gets back to the point you made at the very top of this is that these things are cyclical and they come and go. And I do believe at some point broadcast scripted television will come back like what will generally probably happen is it'll die off the way slow death it is kind of now and it'll be around. But then at some point, some big show will get picked up by script uh, by broadcast network and it'll be the next big thing. And then everybody else is going to want to jump on that bandwagon. 
Yeah, I think it's just going to just shrink, like you're saying. But I also think live stuff doesn't have to just be sports or news. Like, Fox doing the, um, like, the musicals, like, yeah. doing those, the live events, the... Um, there was a show called Undateable that did live like Friday nights for its last, you know, as a, like a last ditch attempt to stay on the air, which was really fun. It was a lot of fun to watch and watching it live was so much more fun than watching it recorded afterwards. But even knowing that it was live was a lot more fun. So I'm sure someone's going to come with a couple concepts like that. They're already uh, redoing the Norman Lear sitcoms and stuff. Yeah. Oh, the live ones. Yeah. And I, and I actually, if you follow some European television too, they do a lot of like these live, like countrywide contests and shows that they just go nuts over. And I wouldn't be surprised to see some of that come to uh, the United States as well. And them start doing sort of things to try to rally people up to make event programming live. And, you know, Masked Singer is kind of one of those ones that sort of does that right now a little bit where it's, you know, it's live to tape, but it's it gets people. People love that stuff, and just it's the most out there ideas. But it's simple yet convoluted, yet it works. The way reality television goes, it's a lot easier to like bring that across markets because the Mass Singer is a South Korean show, and then they brought it over to the U.S. and it's a lot easier to translate stuff like that than having to rewrite a show like The Office that started in Britain and then came over here or. Now they're, you know, taking Parasite, which is the Oscar winner, and that's going to be a television series. That's much harder to do than to just be like, well, we'll take this concept and we'll just make it more American. And plus, I can't imagine that they're paying Jenny McCarthy or Robin Thicke that much money. I mean, she's most famous for being anti-vaccine, and he's most famous for stealing a song. So good on them for rehabbing their image, but I mean... I can't imagine that they were demanding top dollar. That's where Broadcast will probably be headed, most likely. Uh, and all the good stuff will be on one of these services you got to pay for. I think that's fine, though. I, there's nothing wrong with what's on TV right now. So if that's where it's all keeps continuing to go and leaving, I think it's fine and not going to be a big deal. And it's just a sign of the times. I said to quote a Harry Styles song. Oh, yeah, that's what I do all the time. I quote Harry Styles songs. So I run with it. You do. You got me. Uh, moving on, uh, let's get to the main topic of the day. So uh, we wanted to talk through uh, our creative process. What is your project life cycle? Uh, to put it in very generic uh, business-like terms. I like it. Where we're just kind of looking at this is just where do you start with an idea? How do you f develop that out and kind of do your own process where you finally have some sort of script that you feel comfortable enough to sharing with the wide world. This obviously can also kind of translate a little bit to other things. Like I'm sure you have a similar stand-up routine kind of process and things like that because it's all involves writing and creating other things can also kind of work into this a little bit, uh, but we're going to specifically talk through uh, working on a scripted idea here. Let's start with the very, very beginning where the nugget, the kernel happens, the ideation part. Um, I'll start this off. So uh, for me, like an idea kind of happens in two ways, like it'll come to me. And then if it's an idea I like, it's something that'll just kind of keep percolating and stay on the front of my radar uh, at the front of my mind. Like I'll think about it be like, yeah, that's kind of cool. And I'll 
know the general idea, whatever that nugget is, be it I got it from reading a magazine article, uh, I saw watching like a, a show or a movie and there's something small within it that'd be like, oh, that'd been kind of cool if they explored that part of it. Or uh, you just see you're out people watching and you get an idea from there. Obviously, multiple, multiple ways. This is the very small 1% of how you could possibly get an idea. But anyway, from there, if it keeps coming back to me and like something really intrigues me, it'll keep coming back and my brain will keep thinking up additional things and thoughts and uh, beats and ideas that can continue to like work this thing through. And if it keeps doing that, then I'm going to get down and kind of start writing something uh, on paper to kind of start getting these ideas out because it keeps coming back to me. The other way is that it is goes back to just some sort of nugget or kernel from something and then I'll just kind of write it down in my list of ideas that I have for possible future use and I'll just keep it there. Uh, sometimes I don't really develop much, it's just something. And I am working overall on creating more workflows in my life and more um, lists. Uh, I don't have them collated all totally in one big giant list yet, which is my major, uh, one of my main plans to do this year. Uh, but I, I've started something like that just so that I could write the idea, say is it like where it came from and then just sort of like where I think it could be. It could be at a TV idea, it could be a, a film idea, it could be some other sort of idea. And just then from there, just leave it. And then if I'm ever looking for some sort of inspiration, just go back and refer to that kind of list and just see if there's anything that kind of jumps out or maybe you can combine some ideas, that kind of thing. So how about you? No, I guess my idea lifestyle, it's funny that you mentioned stand-up because stand-up is a super, super simple process. And I think that's why I like it so much is that you think of something funny, you run it around in your head a couple times, and then you take it up on stage and see if it works. And if it works, then great. Then you keep playing with it. And if it doesn't work, then great. Then you keep playing with it until it develops into a full bit. So it's very streamlined. I, I like that part that even if it, even if it works that like you don't actually flesh it out too much. You just kind of work on the idea in your head, you take it out and then you see where it lands. And that's when then you start actually sort of fleshing it out. If it kind of worked a little bit. Yeah. It's this standup is a weird thing where like you're constantly writing and performing whatever the bit is. And I know some people have a thing where they hold back and they like try and develop or, or figure out the right take. But it's essentially very immediate feedback. Like it either works or it, or it doesn't. And if it doesn't work, then you keep working on it. But if it does work, then you mine what's funny out of it. And then you try and expand or you think about it and you start rolling it over and over. And you and the more you say it to more different people, you come up with ways to embellish it and, and make it a little bit better, add a tag, do whatever. So then so what about as far as like if you're coming up with like a scripted idea, like how to, or what, what's your process there and how these things work them work themselves out? Yeah, my I became really big on uh, just notebooks. I use a program called Evernote and I have notebooks for every, everything. So one of the things that I do a lot is I have a well. So I have my well of bits. I have my well of stories and my well of business and random shit. Um, and the I have a well of stories and the well of stories has like 89 entries in it right now and they're just they can be anything from just like that germ of an idea where i was like oh this sounds cool or like i just pulled it up now to take a look and the first thing that's up there is a thing called nine kings and there's this picture where all the 
kings of Europe sat for a photo at one point in time. And that was it. And I was like, holy crap, what if like that happened and all of their sons had conspired to take over at that moment? It was going to be a giant coup. And like, what would like, and then I could imagine it being like an Agatha Christie ish story type of thing, like last man standing type of deal. And I, and that was just like kind of based on a picture, but then there's like stuff that's like based on, like you were saying, like an article, like there's one about a pastor who is like preaches Jesus in a monster truck. Like he just goes around to monster truck rallies doing like evangelical stuff and i was just like i just that idea alone was like what kind of like wacky guy is that and what does he have going on in his life and then that's kind of where it starts when you get the german then you start like playing around and like in improv it's a thing called if this then that and you basically like okay if this is the type of guy who decides he's gonna preach by driving a monster truck like, if that, if this, then what else does this guy do? I'm like, well, then he probably thinks that there's something really special about monster trucks. Like, maybe so his idol has to be a monster truck type of thing. Or maybe he's into, like, smashing cars. And maybe he got a sign from God while crushing a vehicle at work. And he's like, oh, this is the way to you know, paradise. And, and then you just kind of keep rolling that idea over and over again, kind of very similar to what you're saying. So then like, how do you sort of then pick out something that kind of grabs you to actually pursue and start fleshing it out more? Uh, what I do there is just whatever keeps very much like what you're saying, like whatever keeps bubbling up or if somebody, honestly, if somebody wants to collaborate on something or somebody else is like, hey, that's a good idea, that ends up influencing me way more. Like if I'll say, uh, like when I talk with friends, uh, you know, they'll be like, oh, that's a that's a cool idea. I'm like, yeah, that must be a cool idea. Someone else thinks it's a cool idea. <laughs> a lot of it is also like just, you know, stories that you. I think that there's a lot to tell there. I very much like stories with people who are not very likable and I've and that's one of my biggest things is trying to make an unlikable person likable without doing very cliched things and I have gotten you know plenty of notes that are like there's nobody to like in the script <laughs> yeah that'll, that'll happen when you're working with those anti-hero types um all right, so you basically is just something that will keep coming back to you. Like when you're ready to start a new project, do you is it just what's most recently continuing to kind of keep coming back to you? Or will you ever go back to your actual list of notes or your list of ideas to just say, uh, what do I want to do next? Both. Sometimes it's coming back to me, but a lot of times it is like after a while when you the thing that I've noticed is like when you have a list what'll happen is you'll like just start scanning up and down the list and even opening this list up now, I'm like, Oh, that's a really good idea. That was a really good idea. That was yeah. something that I, I should have explored. And then I'll add like maybe a thought or two to it. Yeah. And then before long, they're kind of like expanding on their own, but how to actually like dig in and do stuff. It's I, here's what I end up doing to be perfectly honest. I start something and then immediately as I start writing it, 
realize that there's actually something else I want to write, and then that's the one I go with. Ah, okay. So you, you, you start something, then you get the itch. Yes. Well, this actually is, I think, how this all came about, because I'm actually in that situation right now, and we were going to talk about prioritization of projects, um, which we're actually going to get to, I think, maybe uh, in the next episode or, or one soon coming up. Uh, but it, that is always a hard thing to do is when you're starting up something new is what exactly idea do you work on? I kind of have the same problem. That's where I'm sort of at right now. So because I, I generally have enough. I have so many ideas. I want to work on things and it's trying to figure that out. And usually it is something that's been continually coming back is where I'll jump into. But I have once or twice looked at my list and to try to decide what would I actually want to like develop out that hasn't been developed that much. Uh, so I know that feeling and yeah, uh, I'm kind of going through that right now. So once you do get that idea, once you kind of do get rolling and you feel good about it, like you're like, okay, I'm going to devote my time to this because I'm, I'm cool with that because it's going to be a while. <laughs> you're going to get to know these, these ideas and these characters very well. What, uh, what is your then actual brainstorming for fleshing out like the idea once you decide I'm actually going to pursue this idea? So when I start building a structure, basically what I do is... Well, hold on. This isn't necessarily even just the structure. It's just like, what do you do to flesh it out? Like the idea. Do you... You know what I mean? So like, so for me, it's... I, I just start to free write in a notebook. Like once I get the... I have these ideas kind of percolating in my head and then I'll just start writing in a notebook. Like, because I just need to get the ideas down and I just like a pen and paper and it's my quickest, easiest way for things to just flow out. Like... Some people, I occasionally will start typing up notes, but I just don't seem to quite have the flow with typing on a free form kind of way and just getting it all out there. And then, and then after that is the next step of sort of structure where then I have a system that I start going through where I, you know, bring, type the notes up and stuff like that. So what I'm talking about is brainstorming because then it also can include some research because then you're like, well, I had this nugget, but I don't actually know that much about this area of whatever it is. And so you're like, I'm going to go do some research. I'm going to go just kind of get a feel for what this whole area, this, this kind of lifestyle, this person, this type of people, what are they like? Like, what am I get? what do I need to know about them in order to have a feeling for their world? Um, and, and then is there anything else besides just like free writing or research, that kind of stuff? Um, is it, is it just kind of speaking it out loud? Do you just kind of talk to yourself? Like, is it, what are those type of processes that you kind of get all of these things out that are in your head first before you actually start trying to then like break them down? Got it. Got it. Um, yeah. So what I do then is once I get the idea that I want to do, uh, a lot of it ends up being, um, and I think this is why my brain is a little wired for stand-up, is that I take the smallest part of the idea and then I start building around it. And then a lot of the jokes that I tell on stage are, are more story-based. And that's how it always happens is that it's a joke. So it would be like a very like succinct premise. Like a bit that I was doing was literally a uh, cockroach attacked me in the shower. Like it was at, and the, that was just what happened. A cockroach attacked me, but he didn't really attack me. He just kind of came down and I got scared. But then like you start building it out. It's like, okay, well, you know, like that's kind of funny, but like then you add your reactions and you add more and more and more. And then it be, builds into a much bigger story. And I think I do the same thing um, 
in a different way. Like when I have a germ of an idea then I'm like, okay, well, if that was a script, then it'd be like, okay, well, how did, what happened to get me to the shower? And then I would kind of do that and then be like, kind of just like keep, I don't know, like cycling it in my head and then writing stuff down. And then eventually what will happen is I'll have so many little notes that I, I do very much what you said. Like I sit down and I'd start outlining the entire thing. And what I've been doing recently is, and to get better at this, is I used to write something from the beginning to the end. And just that's how I would do it. And if I would stop, I would just literally read back a little bit and then just keep writing until it was all done. And it would always end up in a different place than I thought it would because it just comes from different places each day. And now I've gotten much more into the system of outlining where I come up with an idea and then I just like, okay, this happens, this happens, something cool happens here, something cool happens here, this crazy thing happens, and then this happens, this happens. I have to introduce a love interest here, this happens, this happens. And then some cool ending where I think this type of scene happens. I think it would be cool if it happened on a bridge. And then then start filling in each of those little cuts, like each one of those little things from there on out. All right. Well, I'm glad you said that because that's kind of funny because I was thinking about this while I was going over what we were going to talk about today. And we were discussing about our process here and I was going through my process and I was thinking about. So we're kind of moving on from the brainstorming. You kind of meld your brainstorm into your structure because you're getting to the point you, you brought up the point where I thought I was thinking about this earlier where I'm very structured like I need to do piece by piece step by step is my basic overall process and we're moving along here but I thought about like I I take my brainstorm ideas I write them down and then I start uh, a whole workflow where I have a Dropbox I have a template of Dropbox folders that are set up that are like um these are the script outputs. These are f- freehand notes. These are my uh, notes from, uh, these are like external notes that people give me feedback notes. Um, these are my uh, research folder. So anyway, there, there's a whole bunch of these folders that I have, but I have a template set up that I just, I start that a new template. I, I name the, the main folder, the, the story. And then I have my uh, application, my program that I use that I do all of my initial uh, research and outlining in called Scrivener. Anyway, what I'm getting at though is that I do this very structured bit and I think it's bananas the people who just have the idea and then just start writing from start to finish, which is exactly what you said has been typically your process. Like, I, I, I don't know how you do it. Like in the sense that there's so many intangibles that I don't know how you just start writing it without having like the solid footing. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just not how my brain processes. And I just think it's bananas, but I do find it interesting that people, it's a common way to do it. People, instead of getting bogged down in all of the details, they just dive in and just see what comes out on the other end. Again, it's crazy to me, but it works for a lot of people. And you said that it has worked for you, but then now you're also sort of testing out different uh, a different way of going about it. And I think we talked about this in the past where you are looking to try to structure things a little bit more. So Yeah, definitely. And I think also, you know, work worked is a is a very loaded term because worked in that it eventually got done and left. 
and left in a state that I said is finished or I'm done working on it. But I don't think like done is in something that's become a professional piece of work. Right. That's the thing that, you know, gives that you're if you are always trying to look to improve and try and find something better and try and find a way to do something um changing that style and one of the things that i did realize is there are too many intangibles and it wasn't getting a clear story because essentially i would start going down rabbit holes of like side things i mean you can tell from even the way we have a conversation like i'd go down rabbit holes of like side thoughts that aren't important to the main point you are a man of tangents you do love a tangent you have a very large curiosity for things I, I do. And it's weird because that in my prose style of writing, I think of it almost as a wave. Like, I'll say a fact, go all the way down this whole long story about that thing, and then come back and it like crashes into the next piece of the puzzle that we're doing. And it's this very sort of like wave like way of writing prose. And, you know, that's just because I wouldn't outline or do anything with it. Now to get better, I've tried to outline to make all of those things concrete to be like, here's where we're going to land. Here's where we're going to land. Here's where we're going to land. And that's made work better. Well, I'm very happy to hear that, that you've seen the light and you've come over to the structured side of writing because my God, I don't, that would just drive me crazy. I can't do it. Like I could do it where I could just start writing, but I just feel like I would be, so fragmented and loose uh i would not be happy with the output um so i i've continually and still continue i'm always trying to improve my whole process and i continue to refine how i do things which is sort of hard in the sense because you're not writing that many projects at once or within a year because you are trying to focus and get one thing done maybe two maybe three if you kind of have that kind of ability to balance um, or depending on the length of the project, you know, versus a half hour comedy, hour TV drama or a full feature. Uh, there's a lot of different, uh, effort that goes into all of those. But, um, I, like I said, so just backing up, I, I, I pulled up my template of folders. I have my Dropbox. So it's starts off with script outputs, then it's thoughts and ideas, then it's the outline, then it's character design, then it's research, free writing, feedback notes and treatment. So like each time I do something, I output it into a PDF and I will put it in that folder so that I will always have the documents that I've done and the work I've done to go back and reference. Um, and I do the same thing in, in this uh, program called Scrivener. And it's pretty much this, it's, it's a massive program in the sense that like it's super customizable to how you work. Uh, it's very detailed. It's kind of like, it's pretty much like the Photoshop or, you know, Adobe Premiere or Final Cut of, of like writing, not just screenwriting, just writing in general. You can write any kind of project you want in it, uh, but that's part of the point is that it has so many different customizable features, just how many, you know, many like different small features are in a Photoshop that you really takes a while to master it all. It's the same thing with this. Um, I've only mastered a little bit. You figure out what works for you and I've set up like my system within it. I'm sure there's more stuff I could do. But anyway, I've gotten to a happy medium on it. But it just helps me because then from there, I input all that written uh, notebooks. I type it all out 
into just like a document called like just general thoughts. And but I'll start uh, putting it in sort of a narrative or chronological order, all those ideas that I had and start creating kind of like a moment list. I don't necessarily call it a beat list yet. It's just like a moment list of like this feels right. This kind of goes here. This is beginning, middle end, that kind of thing. And then from there. I'll start doing some character design where I actually have like templates for characters and just start filling in certain questions that I have to help me just get a feel for the character. Now I've realized over the years that nothing's ever going to be done. I don't ever get these things to perfection where you'll go in there and it's like all looks perfect and nice and neat and all that. Like it's still sort of a messy process. And I've learned that too, is that all writing is messy. There's no clean way to make it perfectly fit into a box each time you do it but I just try to keep these things in these templates and organized sets so I at least have reference points to go back to like if I'm ever doing something writing something I can always go back to that character template for that one character and just remember his background like whatever background I made up for him or you know how did I say he kind of wanted the dress or what it was his feelings on certain x y and z and stuff like that it just gives me a grounding thing to reference back to if I'm ever a little stuck or haven't touched something in a while do you do those uh, like the they have like the questionnaires that you can find online? It's almost like being like making a D&D character. It's like they they do this. They use this slang. They use this type of thing. like do you do you go through and fill all that out and say this is what he dresses like. This is what she talks like. This is she has an accent. He has a little bit, a little bit. I don't go as deep as some of those lists go, but I, I do have a template that lists kind of like background um you know childhood and then like uh has like their uh internal struggle you know interpersonal struggle external struggle and i try to like fill those out as best i can as far as like who are they going up against in the world who are they going up against in their own little uh social circles who are they going up what are they going what is their internal struggle like what are they doing what's keeping them back in their own head that kind of thing like i try to dive into all those kind of things um i do do like look a little bit but just kind of out of a general sense of like sort of semi-stereotyping just like you know this guy is a businessman he wears suits like you know tailored you know luxury suits or this person's kind of like a grungy punk rocker like you know wears has you know, dyed hair and shaved head or stuff like that, you know, like just little flourishes just to kind of get a feel again. That's all like in the beginning part, just so I get a feel and a picture in my head. Honestly, I usually picture an actor, uh, for like my main roles of who I think would ideally play this role. So that helps too. Uh, and and, uh, there's even like a photo, like a, I can put a photo in this character template if I want to of that actor. And I sometimes do that pull, actor photos and stuff like that and i but again this this scrivener kind of can just is this kind of this catch-all for it's kind of your evernote in a sense where except it's specifically for this but it can pull in pictures i can pull in websites uh just my random thoughts and then i have like it has a folder it has like a structure where it you can create uh kind of like cards like index cards uh and then each index card is a page and then each page uh, can be like a scene and then you can, and then from there I just continue to iterate. So I take it from my moment moments list. Then I create a beat list. Then I create an outline from that. And then from the outline, I then create like the scene structure where I do the slug line. I do the action within the scene, slug line action within the scene. And then after that's all done, then I go back and then I start adding in dialogue from there. So like I am just a step-by-step iterative process kind of person. Like everything just keeps getting layered on top, on top, on top. 
Yeah, I, I've developed it now that I feel pretty good about it. Um, I've only done it on like two or three scripts so far on various lengths. So it's, you know, no by no means perfected. But I've also have given away on this idea of perfection that like everything's going to look super clean and super like like what it looks like in product shots of like any given software and stuff like that. Like it's still a mess, but it's kind of a controlled mess in my personal opinion. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. Like I've I've very much gotten to the place where I've, um, you know, I I don't know. Maybe it tells you a lot about my life and where I'm at. Is like the one thing that I do remember is uh, is use the catchphrase of progress, not perfection, and just being like you're just moving the line a little bit. You're just getting things a little bit further. It doesn't have to be perfect. And then um, one of my friends. By the name of Christian, Christian Cintron um, has drilled into me the idea is like it's okay to do C work, like you can meaning that like you don't have to make it perfect. Turning it in, you can just do C work, like you can just do average work, and then go back and refine it. But turning your assignment in and getting a C is better than getting an incomplete. And um, so yeah, that's been one of those things of just finishing type of thing yeah well and one of the main things that i've learned i am benefiting from and this both has with back to the idea part and kind of taking notes sometimes with certain things and even if you're not following through with them at that moment but if you just get it out of your head uh also with the structure that i'm talking about sometimes and we're gonna i think finish up with this kind of talk of like when something's finished or when do you put it on break and all that but when i do put something on pause after i have been working on it a little bit it's so great though when i come back to it to have all this all written down and in place and I know where I can find stuff and when I've I've done this before where I've fleshed something out for a while then for what x y and z reason I've moved on to something else but then I've come back to it it's so great to see all this stuff already there because I'm like oh yeah I had these ideas and these things like this and that but then I see older or refined ideas and that kind of clash with my newer ideas or my revised ideas in my head but then I can kind of meld them all together but since they're already there I'm not just working from memory it's already in black and white and and you kind of see the state of mind I was at before and sometimes the stuff's better than what I'm thinking new now or the new stuff's better than what I had but at least I have a basis of comparison for where I where I was and where I'm going being organized like that I think is actually a, a big key and when you're saying that about going back and having better ideas or worse ideas. One of the things that I found myself, because I am very organized for how disorganized, you know, what I said sounded. Um, one thing that I I have done so many times before, and I wonder if you have too, is have you ever gotten a really good idea and you're like, oh my gosh, this solves this, this, this problem or this, this, that problem. And then you go to like put it in your script or put it in like your note or whatever and realize you already wrote that idea down. Yes. yes I... Oh yeah. I just came to the same thing and then you see all the other things. But I, I wonder before I started being more organized, how many times I had done that and literally solved the same problem the exact same way over and over and over again. Well, benefit of that, at least, you know, it's a good idea. If you had it twice and you were psyched about it, you were psyched about it. Then you were psyched about it. Now. I think that's a good, it's a good, uh, a good indicator though but yes i i agree but then at least i i just recently do this in this new project i'm kind of working on and i fleshed it out a while ago and i'm getting back to it and just some of the problems i've already solved or ideas of possible threads to go are already there and i was 
coming back to similar problems that I had before and I've already have at least an idea of a possible solution or a different way that I was going about it that solves my new problem now. So it's all like what you're talking about. I, I And it really is starting to help me. And again, it's just still sort of new in the sense of doing it on how many projects I've, I've only done it on a several a handful of them, but uh, it, it's, it's starting to really work out. And I just feel a little bit less frazzled and I feel more in control having a bit of a structure to everything in my process and the story itself. So, uh, that that's uh so it's a good thing I, I think structure is a good thing and everybody's the way they do it is different but i do think it's important to have some sort of structure and some sort of organizing principle to how you get your thoughts together uh so you just uh, alluded to something so it's a great segue of iterations and uh coming back to things and working on them even if they're only a c to begin with you come back to it and rework it uh how do you deal with rewrites Oh, I am I am absolutely the king of rewrites. I think I remember because um, when we were in a writers group with you, me and Katie, um, I think I was handing out I handed you a draft of something that was like draft number like eighty seven, and it really is like something where I will dig down and I will keep rewriting something over and over and over again. And it is one of my one of those things that is a big problem because. Um, to do any sort of professional writing, unless you're a novel writer, you do have to write on a pretty quick turnaround. Um, I mean, en enough that you're not going to do 87 passes of something. But um, so that's something that I'm trying to like whittle down into being like, okay, if it's really adding something to it, I'll rewrite. But if not, I think I'm, if I'm just moving periods around and I'm just trying to clarify something that isn't worth doing like it's yeah. better to just like go and add another piece and it, it's all also you know what you're where you're at i'm sure if you know like hemingway made a career out of you know putting out one book every like four years or five years or whatever george R. R. martin you know putting out one every 10 he is the king of rewrites but so there are people that do that but again i think that lends much more to novel if you do any type of like screenwriting or anything it's on a deadline like it's it's going to be good enough because it's got to get turned in the thing has to get produced it has to get made you know you have a lot of help but you it's also has to get done yeah there's so much more relying on the script in tv and movie production and it, it is on a book on a book it's one person and a company that gave them some money to write the book, but there's no, there's not a whole lot of other people behind that actual book. I know there's people in the company itself to help get all this stuff done, but it's not the actual book itself it has people that are relying on it to get their job done and this and that. So uh, for sure. And I, I agree. And, you know, I, as a, you know, an amateur writer looking to go professional, it's probably the hardest thing. I mean, this is the most difficult part. It's because you, you get your perfectionist ways come out where you want things to be right. Um, and it's just hard because, you, so here's my question to you. So the thing I find most difficult uh, is I'm rewriting and I, I don't have a problem necessarily rewriting because I do find things and then I fixing things. And like I, I the last rewrite I just did was I, I really did a whole bunch of new stuff and like really found some good holes that I filled, I f at least I feel like. 
But the problem is like you still know there's more that could get better or you could change. Like where do you find that line or, or are, is that a hard thing for you too? Like that's my hardest thing is it's like I could send this out now for notes and talk to people and that kind of thing. But it's like I already know things I would start changing immediately again. Like how do you just – do you have to just stop doing that at some point and just say no? I think it comes – the only time that I have that problem is – and especially for the amount of rewrites I do, by the time I'm sending it out to people, I think one of my uh, biggest things is that I think I have everything buttoned up as best I can make it. But the stuff that I see as being, you know, like holes that need to get fills or needs to get another rewrite is if I can logically walk through the story in each of the characters' point of view and it makes sense, all of their like emotional choices, they did this because of this, this because of this, this because of this, you know, and it's much more logical than real life. But to be able to do that and walk through the story in each of the characters, and it makes sense looking at it from each of the characters, in my mind, is this scene interesting? Like, does something interesting happen here? And it's that second one that interesting that finds me the biggest problem because I'll think something's very interesting but other people don't or and it's just like okay see I'm much more on the I, I, I don't have that problem as much about the interesting thing and chasing down another possible you know thread of where you could take a story like I'm pretty good with that of like staying on message I only will do the thread chase change direction a little bit is if something's not working but I don't typically get that i just get to the point of like well i think i could still probably massage this scene a little better or i can massage things more and that's more what it is massaging it's not full even just like there's huge giant logic holes or anything like that it's just like well i could probably continue to work this through and maybe make this even more seamless but it feels like at a certain point you just have to put it out there and that's probably my biggest problem as far as the way I see rewrites and what I feel comfortable with. It's just at a certain point, like you, you just talked about, you just have to ship it, it, it you know? Oh, a hundred percent. And I was like, and to just talk a little bit about like the notes, I actually do have, I, I have a very specific way that I ask for notes for people when I am ready to do that. And I literally have three different groups of people. Like I have, a, like, and when I say groups, I I mean it may be like one person, or it may be like yeah, I know I get that, but sections of the the type of people that you so how you see them is what kind of notes they're going to give you and what kind of feedback you're looking from them. Right, and the the first group is the like love it group because they're the people that they're just going to give me positive feedback. Like they're either people who are too nice to say something bad about it so they'll only tell me the good things and there or there'll be people that I've known for a long time and are just very excited that I'm continuing to pursue something so they'll always point out the good things like or they're just people that you know don't want to hurt my feelings so they only point out the good things and I always send it out to somebody like that because I I do need to someone just be like when you get bad feedback or something I, I want someone to be like, oh, yeah, but you know what? Your, your formatting is super clean. It's amazing. Like, I found two pages with no spelling errors. 
it's the small victories that you got to find in there the silver lining and then the but the main group that i sent it out to are the people that i call the shredders and they're the people that i really like i respect them as as writers i respect them as people and i understand that they're doing everything just to make a story better and they're the people that will like literally tear the script apart and be like this is a problem this is a problem this is a problem this is a problem and it's the type of person that i let people know that that's how i give notes because i'm like i'm just going to point out everything and then i'm just me so you can throw right you do what you want with those notes i'm just going to tell you the way i see it right and then i will put them all out there and i need those people like those are the notes that i like really want to dig down on and um you know my wife is really good at being able to like break stuff down like that um really respect her as a writer and as a creator and um like she's the one that i really like try and get approval from like as like like this is a good story um but she's very good about breaking stuff down this doesn't work this doesn't work i didn't understand this and being very specific about why you didn't understand it asking the question of like where i i think i see what you were going for and then being like but it didn't make sense because of this and those people i love because it just they're stripping down everything to being like this is what's wrong so that you can fix it because eventually you go a little snow blind yeah oh well for sure I, yeah i mean that's always the biggest problem and that's that's always my thing too when i want to start giving out for notes is because it's like all right, I could go at another pass here and do some updating here, but I don't know where I'm blind at, though, on things because you're so in the weeds with it. It's like, and you can't see the forest through the trees at that point. That's basically what's happening. But I also just want to touch on a point where you're talking about what your group you call the shredders. I still think it's important, though, that you have people who know what they're doing, though, even though if they're called, you call them shredders, that are constructive criticism, though, because they know what they're doing as far as pointing out the things and they're pretty, uh, and they are, uh, they, they're not personal, the notes, but they know how to point out things, but they're also constructive in the sense that they're not just like, why would you do this? This doesn't make sense. Or like, uh, like, you know what I mean? Like they have a, also a bedside manner of how they're also explaining the notes to you because it's not just about like pointing out all the flaws and something. It's also showing about like, well, here's why it didn't work for me. Here's maybe something you could explore to try to make this work better for me. Those kind of things. Like it's good to make sure you have people who give like good constructive notes as well, though, even if they're in what you call a group like a shredders who really get into it and kind of point out all the flaws or issues with it. But it's good that they make sure that they are people you have that are that are also considerate of how they're giving you that feedback. I, okay. I mean, sure. I, to me, how you're giving me the feedback isn't necessarily as important. I really do just want somebody, like, when I put people in, like, this, what I'm calling the shredders, like, I don't mean it to be a pejorative or being, like, as violent as that name sounds. I just mean it as, like, they're the people that will literally rip the script apart, and they're not, and the people that I would give it to that I would put in that category are not people that would ever do it because they're mean or they're being mean to you but i do want them to 
and a little bit get offended if the story isn't making sense. And Oh yeah, no, I get that. Not why would you do it? Like there's construct I hear what you're saying cuz there's constructive notes and it's like I think you're trying to do this but you didn't hit the mark or I don't understand why a character would do this here because of this this and this. And they're the people that can back up everything that they're saying. Every note that they give can be walked through. And they're the people that I sit down and talk a script through. And they're the, but they're always people that I really respect. So even if they were like, this is just dumb, I could be like, okay, they think that's dumb. I should really look at it because that could probably be pretty dumb. Yeah, that could be a problem. No, I get what you're saying. I just know people also who, who think they know what they're doing and they, but they don't offer, they don't, they, they think they're cutting it up and they're giving you like, feedback but they're really just doing it to make themselves feel like they know what they're doing rather than actually giving you like constructive good notes that and pointing out actual flaws like deeper things would just be like i don't get this or you know what i mean like they're actually saying you know what i mean like i do think there's a, an art to it though of cutting out cutting down a script though is what i'm trying to get at a hundred percent and it's weird because i'm really like i'm very serious about the notes process and if i give somebody like a script for notes, like a new person, a script for notes. And I don't get back notes that I consider worthwhile at all. I never give them another script and I never, and I don't tell them. And it's not like, I'm like, Oh, you've disappointed me or whatever. But like I've given people, people scripts before and they're like, I didn't get it. And I was like, okay, well, what was like, where did you fall? And it's like, I, I just didn't like it. I didn't. Okay. Or, or they would be like, like you're saying, like they're just pontificating and, you know, talking about like this and that and structure, this or whatever, but they're not really saying anything. They're just talking a lot or like ripping something apart because they want to feel better about themselves yeah. or, or feel like an expert. And I, I just never give them a script again. I just always, I just like, you know, thank you for your notes um they really appreciate it thanks for taking the time to read this i know it, it takes a while to go through a script and do all of this i'm always very polite and you know and when i ask people to give me notes i'm, I'm big on being like hey can i like take you out for lunch and like you can like let me go or like yeah. whatever um or i'll buy you a drink and we can like talk about this if that's okay um but yeah, I just never give another script again because you can, you I mean, you know, as a person, whether somebody's actually helping you or just making themselves feel better and they're just making themselves feel better. Yeah. And that's that's just what I mean. I just think it's important to make sure, you know, people and, and be able to recognize that when you see it. So one last thing on the notes thing. I'm just curious how you fall in it. What is your thoughts on like when you're giving notes on somebody and grammar and somebody like nitpicking grammar as far as like. Um, and especially when you're looking more for deeper notes and it's like, oh, well, this period or this, it wasn't, you know, this word was misspelled or it's a contraction and you didn't make it a contraction or something like that or vice versa or just like all the small nitpicking ones rather than just like, okay, I get that. And as long as it's not like literally every other word, like let's move past that and actually get into the content of what you're reviewing. Like, especially when you're talking about like, this is maybe like my second draft and I'm just finished it and like i want to you don't really want to do a copy pass because you're trying to get the notes out to get the script out to get the notes back like do you think it's important to do a copy a copy edit every single time that you send it out for notes or you know what, do you see where i'm getting at with kind of like here's the thing 
and I am a, I'm not a great speller. I am not, I'm, I'm just not a great speller. Um, and so I do copy passes a lot. If somebody is entirely hung up on grammar, then I probably won't end up giving them another script. But if there's, if grammar notes are thrown in with deeper notes, then I'm completely fine with it. If grammar notes are thrown in because it doesn't, like what I've said doesn't make sense because I've done something grammatically wrong. Like, not that I would do this like often, but like say I like switch, you know, tenses and I'm all of a sudden talking in the past tense instead of in the future tense or something like that's going to throw off someone's perception of the way the story works. And it's like, you have to change that. That's wrong. Or if something's egregiously spelled bad, especially if it's in the first couple of pages of a script, like that's the type of thing where people are like, dude, if I saw this, I would never, I wouldn't even like keep reading. You're like, you have your name spelled wrong on the first page. Like, you know what I mean? Like, but if that's it and they stop reading then i'm like okay you, that doesn't help me at all yeah i just see it as just because it's sometimes it's hard when it's, uh, you're in the weeds again forest to the trees kind of thing like you do even do a copy pass but there's still sometimes those things slip through and i just seen sometimes people just get too nitpicky about oh well this was this period's missing or there's double two periods here and you're just like all right man great like you can circle them and that's cool and i'll see that but it's just like I don't need you to be talking about my punctuation or my missing apostrophe in this, in the word can't or something like I just have seen those notes before and they drive me absolutely crazy. It's like, this is not why I'm giving you the script. I'm looking at a content like feedback. Like, is the story working? Do the characters work? Like if, if it is that egregious that it's like every, I have 10 words on the page that are wrong or misspelled or out of place or something and it's completely taking you out, then yes, please bring that up to me because then that is an issue. But outside of that, like a misspelled word here, then three pages later, another one, and then maybe, like I said, a missed period, you know, uh, two words were swapped or something or there's a typo. Like, I, I, come on, man. Like, there's a lot. I just put out, produced a lot of words. Like, I, that's not what I'm looking for from my uh, from my notes, people. Listen, if anybody's given, if that becomes an issue, I, I just... Again, I just wouldn't give them any more stuff to read because to me, anything more than like with a misspelling or typo or anything like that, most people I know, they're just going to circle it and then they move on to the bigger issues. And I I really appreciate that. I appreciated something getting um, circled and then that'd be the end of it. Or if it is if it is an issue saying, hey, this is a real issue, you got to. Yeah. you got to make sure you're locking this stuff up. Cause I also just think it depends on what kind of pass you're at too. Like if this is like the pass before you're going to start sending out to somebody who actually has some sort of like, uh, influence in like possibly, you know, uh, you're looking to actually impress with it. Sure. Like I get that's, you're going to do a copy pass notes before you do something like that. But I just think when you're in the middle of like really trying to flesh this thing out, before we move on, I, I was just looking over my notes for this. I have a thing down of like the worst notes that I gotten. And I do have to tell this story because this literally was the worst note I've ever gotten. I gave my script. It was a 110 page script to a friend of mine and asked them to read it. And it took them three weeks. And then they got back to me and they 
were like, I don't like this, blah, 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 blah. Very harsh, just like you were talking about, the type of person that was like very hung up on grammar to the point that there weren't any other notes. Also very hung up on like just not liking it. And he goes, I, I, I got to the end. I was, I was like, okay. I was like, well, what did you think about like this or this, like this middle part here? Did this make sense when this character did this at the end? And he goes, I didn't finish it. And I was like, well, how can you be giving me notes if you haven't finished it? Which made him angry. And at that point, it was raining outside. We were on the third floor of an apartment building. He takes this 110-page script, and he whips it out the back door, which it then bursts apart to 110 little leaflets of paper that floated down. And he goes, watching that was more entertaining than anything in that script. Now, granted, that was the last time I gave him anything to read, but it did make me realize that I had to do much better work if I was going to have people read it. That's harsh. Are, are you still friends with this guy? Yeah, still, I'm still mostly friends with him. Bigger man than most. It's kind of a dickheaded thing to do, man. He must he, he must have been watching too much uh, Ari Gold on Entourage at that point. And we had talked about it. It was a dickhead thing to do. But the other thing that I learned out of that, and I think this is the most important thing to learn out of that, is you're not the work you produce. Like, the work you produce is not a value judgment on you as you exist as a human being. So while it hurt that hard work got thrown out the back and was said that was not good that wasn't me it was just something that i thought was a cool story it was and maybe it's stand-up that really hardens me against it now because it it does hurt it hurts to get bad notes and it hurt me at the time and it's only looking back on it that it doesn't um that like if you tell a joke and it doesn't work you just go on to the next joke like it's just something that doesn't work it doesn't it doesn't mean you're bad it just means the joke didn't work next 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 and it's kind of like that's how you have to approach a lot of work especially when you're doing content creation when you're going completely outside the box for anything because you only get anywhere once people notice it and you're not a bad piece of work or you're not something that you thought was cool that didn't hit an audience you just you just made something that didn't hit an audience. I think that is a fantastic note to leave on. I'll just add to that, that the only way you're going to get to where you're going is by doing that work though, where you will do things that don't work and you just move on to the next until you finally find something that does hit. So wonderful sentiment to uh, end on uh, when we ran through our entire project creation list here. It was a deep dive. It definitely went longer it's probably went as long as I was expecting it to, not as long as I was hoping to, but uh, when you're talking process here, you know it's going to get uh, get in the weeds. We get into minutia. Yep, yep. Uh, let's wrap it up then. What is your spotlight of the week? Uh, <laughs> I, I I was so happy with my spotlight of the week last time that I was like, let's keep the, the self-promotion train rolling along, or just the promotion train. The first, Last week I didn't self-promote anything. A show that I had worked on as an editor is available on YouTube. It's called Howie Mandel's Animals Doing Things. The thing that I love about this show, I think only season two is available, but season one is floating around out there somewhere on Nat Geo Wild. The process of writing the show 
was basically a lot of very funny people sat around in a room and wrote bits, worked with Howie, who then was doing his own bits. And together, there were produced segments, then Howie was doing bits, and then people could pitch jokes to Howie. And it was, it just ended up as this weird, bizarre little nugget of a show that ran for two seasons. And even watching it now, the humor in it is so bizarre and so just off the wall that my kid was laughing at it, but I was also laughing at it too. And only, and not only on the stuff that I had done, stuff that other people had done, it'll get lost in the world of the internet and probably show up on YouTube, but um, Howie Mandel's Animals Doing Things uh, is worth it. It's on Hulu season two. Check it out. It's very much worth it. And I, it was one of my favorite TV experiences to date. Very cool. I will say, I do think as much as we talk, we've talked about it before. And I think earlier, just about how much content is out there nowadays on just even Netflix alone, let alone all of the other platforms like Hulu, which is where you can get animals doing things. Um, I, the one, the one of the cool things I find about it is these, when you scrape through the bottom of the barrel, not, not even the bottom of the barrel, it's not the right phrasing, but just when you really hunt down something and just kind of like allow the the menu to take you wherever and you find some random bit of a show and you've never heard of it before and you've never seen it before and you just decide for whatever reason to click on it and then you end up really enjoying it. Like there, I've done that before on Netflix, on Hulu and they have some random stuff on there that you never ever hear about. They don't do any marketing about it. It's just there. They paid for it and it's on there. And I just think that's fun. It's one of the cool things about it is that you can just discover these weird, random, unique shows. And it sounds like you worked on one of them. Very cool. So check out Animals Doing Things on Hulu, worked on by your very own Anthony Hudex. I want to spotlight this week, Watchmen, the graphic novel. I borrowed this from you over Thanksgiving, and I finished it uh, like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, uh, and it was great. That's so funny. I was actually just looking. I'm like, I have that. And I was looking. I was like, where's my copy? <laughs> I asked That's you right. I it. gave it to you. I didn't just take it. I said, hey, do you mind if I take it? You might not have been paying attention to me because your house was chaos on Thanksgiving. But I did ask for it. So I didn't just. I know. It. I remember that now. It wasn't until you said that you had my copy. I was like, oh, yeah, we talked about that for a second. <laughs> I never read the actual graphic novel before. I've seen the movie, uh, which actually, from what I remember, they line up really closely with each other. I'm actually rewatching the movie now because then I'm going to jump into the HBO series. I started the HBO series and then I was like, I want to go back and read the comic before I actually watch this because I want to get the full experience from the TV show because I heard they do a lot of really cool stuff to weave in the original story. Uh, so I wanted to make sure that I had the full background and what I knew what I was getting into for the HBO show. Uh, so it was, it was great. It was everything I expected. I mean, again, I actually remember the movie. I ended up loving the movie like a lot. Uh, and I know it kind of had a lot of mixed reviews when it came out, uh, which I found surprising because I, I thought it was really good. And that, I never read the novel, but now that I went back and read the novel, it toes very closely to each other. And I, so far in the movie rewatching it, I feel like it captures still a lot of the essence of it. Um, I have to watch the whole, finish the movie again to see, have the comparison of like what was left out, but they squeeze a lot of it in there. 
Uh, I mean, I have some definite opinions of why, but we can have that for another episode. We'll do that for another episode once I actually get through the full Watchmen, which I only have the director's cut and it's three hours long. So it's I'm kind of kind of reading it in small chunks like I did the book, like the novel. So uh, but it was really good. Like uh, I, I enjoyed it. And uh, so we'll get into that later on. But, yeah, if you haven't read it yet, I would say read Watchmen, the graphic novel. So, did you watch Watchmen, the HBO series? I did watch the first part of it, and then I uh, fell off watching it. Because I was watching it as it was going, and then I just ran out of time and ended up watching different things. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the aesthetic. I thought they captured a lot of the the ambiance of the milieu of the the book or you know it, it really did work very very well as that series even though it is not the story's based on the it's like a continuation they created a yeah. whole like sort of universe within a universe more or less and they which i find fascinating too as a as like a story tool that doesn't is probably something you're going to start seeing more of now that, but I mean, it's Damien Lindelof. So it's not surprising that he would come up with this new way of uh, telling a, a refreshing of a, an older story that was beloved by many. Um, but I just think everything that they did with it, the background to it is super neat. Like with like where it's taking place, when it's taking place, like the backstory of race riots and how they're weaving like real history into this fictional world is all just super fascinating to me. So that's why I wanted to kind of go back to the beginning and make sure I was fully in the loop and had the feel for it going into the show. Um, but yeah, the book, the, the novel is great. It's, it's interesting. I, I do have to like take my concept of like when it was released and how it was released because like you do read it nowadays, it's not super shocking or, necessarily novel like new because but this was sort of the groundbreaking trendsetter for everything that we see nowadays yeah and i think that's the problem with any sort of like groundbreaking piece of art like like i'm a big fan of punk music and if you listen to like a lot of the older punk bands versus like listening to the mc5s versus listening to like bands in the 90s versus listening bands from today and this will sound sacrilege what the MC5s were doing, people have worked and refined that and made that like a, a different sound that's more crystalline than what they were doing even, but they were doing something so revolutionary that it was like basically kicking the doors off everything. And you're just like, oh my gosh, if I was hearing this for the first time in like 1970 something, I would be like, my head would explode. But then, like, you see how people are taking that influence and making it so much more palatable to the mainstream is probably the best way to put it. And I think that's the same thing with The Watchmen is, like, you could see how when that was happening, there's sort of rough ideas. And even the movie, I think, cleaned up the ending to a much more clear concise place yeah and that's what i've heard people i think have issues with who are fans of the novel the, the graphic novel is the ending in the movie differs slightly in certain ways that they did not appreciate me watching it and not reading the novel before i was a thousand percent fine with it and i thought it was one of the most amazing endings but it, it still wraps up the same way just in a different package almost than the the novel did but uh, again it was great it was it was fun to get back and actually witness it and, and see what was so groundbreaking about it but when you 
when you do that, then you can see if you put yourself in the 80s, when all of the com where comic books were, where pop culture was, you can see how this was so groundbreaking and and the trend that it started now. And it's like you said, been refined a million different ways over the past uh, three decades since then. So, all right, man. Well, uh, great episode. Uh, great chat. Uh, good to get inside your head uh, about how you work things as uh, yours, things as yours. Uh, so if you take any away from this episode, don't take it personally. Just move on to the next and just move on to the next and then move on to the next and you'll get there. hundred percent. That's the hope. All right, man. All right. Till next time. Till next time. Bye. There was a four-minute song about dolphins.